Um, hola, tudo bem? And welcome to an exciting special edition of Yoga Benito Football Social. We are dialing back some 20 years um, to focus in on a team that I think is very special in, in most football fans' memory. Um, is This pod is the brainchild of my co-host and very good friend, Jimmy Townsend. Good evening, Jimmy. Good evening, Jackie boy. How are you? I'm really good. I'm really good. I'm deliberately not announcing what our pod is about tonight. I thought we could just build the excitement a little bit, but hopefully from the greeting, the uh, the linguists, the cunning linguists out there amongst the JB community might know which team we're, so- uh, we're talking about. But for those that don't, Jimmy, do you want to enlighten our parish? I'd, lo- I'd love to. We are, we're going big and we're delving into the 2002 Brazil World Cup squad. Oh yes, we are. It was it was quite remarkable um, doing the research on this because there's just a wealth of interesting facts, um, memorable goals, heartbreak, controversies, and what is it um, that they they talk about in Jerry Maguire the qua? You know the, you know the other th- the yeah. thing that you can't quite yeah. quantify, yeah. but it's special. And it's, it, th- this side had the qua, didn't they, they really Jimmy? Did. They really did, and they, they smiled the whole time as well. They did, they did. And it, it was back in 2002. Um, 2002, I was trying to think about... I was trying to think where I was in 2002. I was working... Um, I, was working in a, <laughs> I was working in a sales job for a tech company. Um, and um, The Wire, the first season of The Wire oh, started, right. wow. which was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Just, just finished uni myself, Jack, fresh-faced... Uh, 21 year old mm. and um, just about to make my way out to do Camp America in New York State for this tournament so, no way that, yeah I didn't know that because uh, my wife also did that who was of course is also a good friend of yours yeah That's no I didn't meet her there one. didn't meet her there hand hand. <laughs> let's move on shall we swiftly uh, amazing um, yeah interesting time in the UK um, yeah Tony Blair's our Prime Minister uh, pre-leading those to a very unpopular War in Iraq. Um, yeah. Any any big films you were you were watching or any music well, you listened to? Yeah, them, I mean, Lord, Lord of the Rings: Two Towers is is, is mm. busting its way out and, and fiercely competitive. Up against it is the uh, Harry Potter Chamber of Secrets. So really big year for films. I know our chairman and the helmsman Joe is is a massive fan of both of those. Mm. So he would have been doing his nut this year. In those big year films. for sequels. Yeah. Yeah, huge, huge. And yeah, music wise, I know you and I both ginormous fans of her work but Pink was the top of the charts with Don't no. Let Me Get Me with uh, I think I need to sing I think we all know the words which uh, well I'm sure that's juiced our regulars up for this uh, for this pod Jimmy with no those uh, with those interesting facts there um, yeah so let's 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 get to this team um, there are there are three names that are going to jump out as straight away um, and we're going to talk at length about them but the squad was fascinating, wasn't it? Um, it was a deep squad, and it was coached by Big Phil Scolari. Um, but their their qualifying journey to this the the 2002 World Cup was in Japan and Korea, um, co-hosted. Um, but their their journey there wasn't that comfortable, was it? I think there was something like six losses in qualification. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of. Um, by the sounds of it, Big Phil had a, a fight on his hands, convincing um, the the population that Romario was not the right man to take on that plane. Mm. Um, and instead, he took um, he took R- Ronaldo and and the other cohorts. But he he came good. I mean, the, you know, the squad that he had, the players that he had, and despite the um, you know the the troubles they had in qualification, it was a stellar tournament for them, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think. Um Big Phil's always had that um, that love affair of uh, picking the right players from Brazil and mixing them with the big styles that were already in Europe. Um, but I think the big thing he got right with this one was the formation, was changing mm. it up from a usual Brazilian style and going to that three centre-backs, um, four across the middle with the wing-backs, and then one very, very talented playmaker that we'll come on to, and two absolutely ridiculous strikers. So um, when you've got that, um, and I think you look at Cafu and Roberto Carlos uh, in their prime... Can you get a better pair of fullbacks? I'm trying to scratch my head and think about: is there a better combination, or, or did they even define the roles? There, as as a left and right mm. wing back, 
just absolutely outstanding. So yeah, for me, those two alone uh, rubber stamp this team as, as one of the greats. Yeah, I think what's what's remarkable for this squad as well is coming back from the heartache of France '98. Maybe we'll touch on that a bit, a bit later in the pod. Um, but for those two players, um, there there was this sense. Well, for 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 these two players and other players in the squad, a sense of unfinished business. Um, I thought Lucio um, centre back was interesting because he was part of that incredible um, Leverkusen side that. Um, the Bayern Munich just at one point just said, thank you very much, we'll just take all of you, didn't they? Because I think they took like, was it Zeroberto and Michael Ballack as well? Yeah, as yeah maybe that's where the strategy began of just, uh, if you get good in Germany, we'll just take all your players. Yeah. And they've done it very well for years. But yeah, Lucio, I can't, again, think of sort of really brilliant, sort of combative, good in the air, but fast good on the ball as well like mm. a really complete all-round sort of modern day centre-back withered Milson the other side uh, equally as comfortable on the ball so um, yeah they, they were able to play out from the back and, and when they went wide you've got two of the best players in the world running the channels so yeah mm. defensively a, a brilliant could be a back five but at times would only be a would be a back three or even a two when one of the centre-backs stepped into midfield so very fluid well if you think um, let me see two World Cups before this the cent- I find the centre midfield of Brazil always quite interesting because Brazil's littered with great nines, great tens, great fullbacks and such like. Sometimes the midfield doesn't get so much um, attention. Um, 94, there was Rai and Dunga in the middle. Um, but for 2002, Gilberto Silva and Cleberson. Cleberson obviously pre the United move, which didn't work out, um, you know, it, it, he had a great tournament. Um, Gilberto Silva, though, is interesting, though, Jimmy, isn't he? Because he gets kind of stamped with the with the DM thing straight away, but he, he was a fantastic technical player as well, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, um, and and uh, lovely, um, lovely footballer, hard-working player, and, and something I didn't realise until I started looking into him more and looking into his background was that um, was was raised and trained as a centre back. Um, and when he actually moved into centre midfield in one of his, um, I think it was only his second or third season playing, a very young player, suddenly blossomed into this wonderful central midfield player. Um, and uh, that's really in that year is what, what got him his call up. But what I really liked about uh, Gilberto's story was um, the, what I was reading is he, he's grew up, grown up in a poor part of Brazil. And we know there's there's many of these stories, many of those areas. Um, mm. Three sisters. Uh, his father was a blacksmith. His mother's a housewife. And um, they're all sharing a single bedroom. Um, his father's uh, teaching him to um, to become a carpenter because he says he needs something to fall back on. And he ends up having to retire early. So very very quickly, Gilberto has to say goodbye to football because he starts having to support his mum and his sisters. Um, and it's not actually his friends who talk him into going back to football and saying, listen, you're really, really talented. Don't give it up. Give it another go. Um, and at this point, he, he's just labouring. He's earning what's something like £50 a week, if mm. that um, to make get himself, get himself by, and it's when he goes back um, to start playing again um, that he he suddenly explodes on the scene as his centre midfielder, um, moves on to Atletico Mineiro where he has a brilliant season under Carlos Alberto, and it's Alberto who suddenly raises it and says that this is one of the best players in the country, um, mm-hmm. and it's that this brilliant season that they have that um, Big Phil suddenly notices him and says, right, you're coming to the World Cup. So um, it's a meteoric rise to suddenly be one of Brazil's central midfielders in this tournament. Yeah, absolutely. And an integral part of um, fantastic Arsenal sides afterwards. That's that's beautiful. I want to give you a um, <laughs> a dark side story to that light side flip there. Um, Jarminia, um, who was at the time playing for Deportivo La Coronia at the time... Jack. Yeah, absolutely. I know we were chatting about this um, pre-pod. Well, not even not even related to this. We were just chatting um, when we were throwing ideas around. But five days before Scolari, uh, Scolari named his 23-man squad, um, Jam- I'll ask you, Jimmy, Jalmini was omitted from the squad despite his form, despite him being a nailed-on uh, midfielder. Do you know why? I would imagine there's something he's done that's not okay in the eyes of Big <laughs> Phil. A discretion? Yeah, at discretion. He headbutted um, Javier Irureta, the yeah. uh, Deportivo co- coach. coach. And 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 what was amazing was um, was that apparently him and Big Phil had had dinner like five days later, and he said to him, "Just stay out of trouble. Just just stay out of trouble, and you're on the plane." 
and um, yeah, th- this this happened. And even more interestingly, or it was um, Jalminia's father was Jalma Diaz, who played every one of Brazil's 1970 qualifiers, and he was cut from the final squad by Zagallo. So how's that, eh? Ish. Blinking egg. Um, Cafu, uh, that we touched on, you know, three World Cups. Um, I think uh, I think Cafu's technical footballing ability, uh, defensive play, um, his winning capability, I think often we don't talk about his leadership as well. He's just a fantastic leader as well, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, great he, re- captain. Really, great you know, captain. Yeah, really think, an all-timer. Yeah, I think there's some... This when we get on to them, but a the couple of the younger guys coming through in this squad as well. I think Cafu uh, mm. held them all together, um, and um, you can see that the joy in their faces when when he gets involved and creates some of the goals. Um, and, and a lot of their goals came from those wide areas. Lots of them are mm. sort of Man City esque. These are quick cutbacks, um, be it from Carlos or Cafu, and it's Rivaldo and Ronaldo getting on the end of them. So mm. um, yeah, Cafu for me, what a captain, what a player. And, on engine as well. The amount of ground he covered just motoring up and down that right-hand side. Insane. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, um, you know, moving up to the pitches, is there a greater front three <laughs> in in football history than Ronaldinho, Ronaldinho, Ronaldo and Rivaldo? I mean, the three R's. I, I can't think of one. I really can't because if you go back to great teams... And we think about your sort of your Frances, or you think about your your Argentinas. There's brilliant, brilliant players, but three players that good as the front three is mind-boggling, absolutely mind-boggling. Um, so let's delve in, Jackie boy. Let's delve in. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I was trying to reflect on this. I was thinking there has definitely been squads that have had great um, players within them, um, with lots of lots of great forwards and whatnot. But it wasn't just the indiv- it wasn't the individual brilliance of each of these players. It was the collective front three axis, which performed to such a level with such panache, guile, skill, um, and and produced so much. They won the World Cup. Their their goals and their assists. So it's it really they were really greater than the sum of their parts as well, weren't they? Yeah, definitely. I think they. They all, despite being wonderful individuals and superstars in their own right, in their own teams, I think when they came together, that connection and that telepathy they had, they, they were smiling, they were laughing, and, and some of the girls would come on to talk about their understanding of where each other's movement was, was brilliant. Um, mm. And Rivaldo playing on the right-hand side as a striker, which he didn't really do for anyone, he was generally always a 10, but it gave him the opportunity to come back inside on his left, and so many of his finishes were working the ball back into the other side, mm. um, and then just the absolute brilliance of a precocious young Ronaldinho playing behind them. Um, yeah, just a really, really wonderful combination, those three. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I talked about that unfinished business thing earlier, um, a couple of minutes ago then, and for me, Ronaldo's presence, his form, um, and his the magic he produced was just such an amazing salve to the the awfulness of the France 98 final. Because, you know, maybe just stepping aside from the football for a minute, Jimmy, I remember when um, when the team sheet was called, I think I'm right in saying this, when the team sheet was called in the final in France 98, originally, Ronaldo wasn't on it. And it was really bizarre, and everyone was like, what, what's going on? And then there were different stories come through. And this was sort of pre, you know, you've got to remember, this is pre-social media and Twitter where, you know, um, you're hearing from main news outlets. And there was things like Ronaldo swallowed his own tongue and all these sort of reports sound really horrific. And what we've learned since then, um, I believe, and, uh, you know, just kind of piecing together the bits here, is that there were things like huge amounts of anxiety and pressure panic attacks and all these sort of mental health issues that were these confluences which were flooding into um, Ronaldo which meant at the beginning he wasn't fit to play Um, and his performance in the final was a sub Ronaldo performance Um, and then after that um, he suffered an injury um, and he wasn't playing for a while and he comes into the tournament um, and he is lethal from the first whistle until that trophy is lifted, isn't it? Yeah, um, I think uh, when you've got 
a player like that and eight goals in a tournament it's, it puts you in a very very good chance but yeah just lethal in the range of goals that he scores um, with that swagger with that smile and the wagging finger um, yeah just dead, deadly deadly I, I can't think of a better striker in world football in any World Cup can't think no, of one and, and, and can I tell you something beautiful that I, that I read about him because I, I actually I got really upset in um, in 98 when he, he was I just thought he was just the best you know I really did he was sort of my hero really at the time and and when I found it wasn't playing I couldn't, my mum told me I just couldn't believe it and I thought about the mental health crisis it's something that, that in football football still hasn't managed to meet head on there's lots of issues in football that it's not dealing with very well and mental health is one of them and you have it, this felt very brushed under the carpet and of course Ronaldo comes back and I remember seeing him and he had that really weird haircut he had that kind of like shaved yeah. front. It was almost like an arrow. Yeah, like, a, like a merkin almost, if you know what yeah. a merkin is. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was Dida that shaved it. Um, and I read that Ronaldo had said to Dida, I want you to shave it and I want you to leave this patch at the front because it looks a bit silly and everyone's going to be talking about my silly hair and they're not going to be talking about me. Yeah. And I thought that <laughs> was absolutely unbelievable. Mm. Um, and such a mature considered sort of you don't you don't hear you don't hear stuff like that so much anymore. I could hear I can imagine someone like Rashford set coming out with something like oh Sterling, the more articulate of our footballers yeah. maybe thinking of something like that. Yeah, I thought wonder um, as well if yeah. you think of the the pressure that Pele was under and having watched mm. documentaries and things since, you know, of a of an eighteen year old and, and then as he gets older carrying the weight and the expectation of that country that's handed on to striker after striker and Ronaldo was you know the next that was in that category as good as a Pele for all, as much as I love Romario he wasn't quite in that category of someone who could just do everything and I think Ronaldo carried that burden very very heavily um, and as you say probably probably to his cost in 98 but that's why the redemption is so wonderful in this tournament yeah. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, amen to that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we've touched on, we've touched on um, Gilberto Silva and Cleberson because I know we said we were going to touch on some of the not so big names, but um, and the bench was no. Let's not go with the bench actually. Let's look at the goalkeeper Marcos. <laughs> yeah. Um, because absolutely fascinating. He spent his entire career. Uh, was it with Palmeiras? Palmeiras. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in Brazil. Um, and he is rated in Brazil as their greatest ever keeper. I don't yeah. know whether you... No, it, it stuns yeah. me. I, I was I was actually struggling to think... I can't even think what he looked like. I couldn't recall yeah. his, what he looked like. He just didn't register on me at all. I was thinking of Dida, uh, you know, Tafarel beforehand. Um, and I just couldn't picture him at all. But yeah, he's he's held up in huge esteem to the point where yeah he's called Sal Marcos which is yeah which is right. great yeah. um but yeah um slightly slightly balding nice kind of monk-esque almost crown and um yeah I mean his record in this tournament speaks for itself but, but I think Brazilian keepers at this point were still probably a bit marginalized and, and people were a bit dubious of their ability mm. um pre your Allisons and Edisons now um so yeah maybe he was a sort of a turning point in terms of of a solid dependable keeper um, yeah Absolutely. I mean, that you know, the, the understudy was Dida, of course, went to have a glittering career in uh, with Milan, wasn't it? So, yeah. um, Quick yeah, shout out though, Jack, got to mention Janino on mm. the bench. He's at his third spell with Middlesbrough at this point. Um, <laughs> and Big Phil, why not? Why wouldn't you? Let's bring Janino in. Apparently one of the best men in the dressing room. Um, like, really? Like, like an angel. Um, so it's great to have him. A very young Kaká. Some some kid from Sao Paulo and he only mm. gets 25 minutes in the tournament, but um and world record um fee to Nielsen, just yeah. barely really playing. But betters have spent a lot of money on him at this stage, but still a wonderful player and a great impact sub. Yeah, I mean that was up. I'm I'm recalling around 23 million, yeah. which is still a fair whack of cheddar these days, let alone. Um, 20 odd years ago. Um, just an interesting one on Janino. Our beloved chairman Joe met Janino on a cruise ship in a casino. Um, and I think the story went something like Joe Joe was working as a croupier and it was Janino. And Joe, it was really important um, that you maintain your professionalism and the the barrier, you know, between, you know, client and etc. or customer, should I say, or passenger. Um, and Joe leant forward and said, 
are you are you Janino? And he just went, yes, but like, but but you know, don't say anything. Like he really played down. Joe just like nodded a bit. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. Okay, cool. That's great. Um, should we move on to the games? We talked about this. You know, the, there's a couple of people left out of the squad and whatnot, but we could probably go all night on the on the mm. players. Yeah, yeah. Let's um, do the group stage. The group stage was interesting because um, they were drawn in Group C. Um, against China and Costa Rica, but also a very fancied and very capable Turkey side. Mm. Well, I'd probably say the most talented Turkey side that I can remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, there was some. There yeah, was this sorry. lovely balance between sort of like grit and flair with with this Turkey side. Yeah, um, yeah. A couple of um of great players. I think Hakan Sass is the one who really stands out for me. The bald head. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, just uh, great energy, um, and yeah, and, and you sometimes get that in the World Cup. I suppose you think of Croatia, you think of Bulgaria. Sometimes you'll get this country that comes in, um, and they become superstars during the tournament. And that, this is very much Turkey's time to shine. Yeah, there was uh, for anyone that's uh, you know that maybe you know, probably don't have time for it tonight, but um, there's a really beautiful um, article on this Turkish side from 2002 over on these Football Times. Um, yeah, and just talks about um, you know Fatih Terim and um, Shuka and um, yeah, all sorts, all sorts. Gunesh, mm. the whole sort of Turkish um, oeuvre, as it were. Hakan Unsal, yeah, really yeah. good. Really well, I mean, good. in that in that game as well, surprising. You know, two one, uh, tough. One of one of Brazil's arguably one of their toughest games in in the whole tournament to start off mm. with, and then. Um, aside from the goals, uh, which obviously Ronaldo levels the game and, and Rivaldo goes on to get the winner from the penalty spot, but uh, I think the game is always going to be remembered for the the histrionics and the play acting mm. of Rivaldo when uh, Hakan Unsal returns the ball to him and it clearly hits him. Are we going to say thigh? I think we're mm. saying thigh high, and he clutches his face and hits the deck and rolls around. And for such an amazing player with such a high profile at Barcelona at the time. To do that when this camera's there, um, it was was a strange start, was a weird start, a controversial start for a, a team that's always seen, you know, holding hands at the start as they come out smiling, playing with such joy. Um, this was a kind of a, a strange sort of peek behind the curtain at something, the dark arts maybe, that Rivaldo was willing to go to. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And also, um, I, would, I would posit that this was the... This side was the beginning of the end of Yoga Benito as a footballing philosophy in Brazil because this did creep in. Um, it was part of this side's and subsequent side's um, gamesmanship and approach. And um, we were in China in 2014. Is it the 2014 World Cup? And I can't remember for the life of me who it was in Brazil, but he... I'm, I'm, I don't know whether I got it wrong now, whether it's 2014, 2018. But anyway, in one of the World Cups, starting to see Brazilian players oh, yeah. Um, yeah, applaud Neymar each other. 2018 was... Yeah, yeah. For applauding each other for winning penalties and things like that. And at, at that point, the um, yeah, the spell is broken, isn't it? Um, yeah, it really is. But I think I got my dates wrong there. But yeah, it was it was definitely a um, it, it was definitely a moment, wasn't it? And it also said it also said that this side were willing to win at any cost, wasn't it? Because um, they had the firepower and they had the ability, but they also had the gamesmanship, gamesmanship, um, yeah, to win to win free kicks and penalties and such like. Yeah, very much. Um, I have to um, do. A- a special shout out now to uh, to Roberto Carlos because sometimes maybe like Cristiano Ronaldo does get labelled as oh he's famous for a free kick for one free kick that he scored mm. but in the second game uh, a 4-0 rout of China uh, Carlos steps up and absolutely leathers the ball uh, into the back of the net the goalie does one of those wonderful dives after it's already gone in um, just flew past him so you have to take your hat off to the man he, that was something special in game two yeah, definitely. It reminds me of um, Blitzball and Final Fantasy X, which is a <laughs> Japanese RPG game. And um, when you score, the keeper sort of like dives after. It's really weird. Yeah. You know you've scored before the keeper dives. and just just reminds me of that. But something that I noticed on the group games, and it's something that 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 just stood out when I was watching, and definitely I felt in the England game. I mean, that was just 
It was big for us, wasn't it, the England game? But I always felt Brazil could be got up. You go watch the tapes of the China game and whatnot. Um, they had chances. You know, they they had chances, and despite the 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 centre backs, the the amazing full backs, and a highly competent keeper, um, you could score against Brazil, but that wasn't really. The problem was it, and I did look at that Chinese keeper as well. So I just on that free kick, right? And I saw it. I, I watched that free kick a few times before the pod, and I thought, I bet that guy had never, ever seen a ball travel that fast in his life. Well, I don't like think he did, never. Did <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I was just, I just thought, thought, you know, we, you know, we've lived in China, Jimmy. You know, you know, you know that out, you know that they'll have been mainly mainland players. These players won't have gone. And played in, you know, in Syria or the or the Premier League or whatever, and he absolutely rocketed, and that Chinese cock was like, oh my god, what the hell is this? Do I dive you know? now? I dive now. Yep, yeah, I yeah. dive now, and I look great. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Um, and on to the Costa Rica game. I think the Costa Rica game sort of starts to tug at what I'm sort of saying is. You could score against this Brazil side, could yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, the seven-goal thriller, 5-2, party time. I think the the crowd, um, lovely combination, Brazilians and Costa Ricans, great music, mm. great uh, hip shaking. I know you're a fan of, of that mm. move, Jack. I am. Um, and I suppose, yeah, for me, that standout goal, Ed Milson, when a centre-back comes forward and decides to do... I don't know if we're going side on or, or overhead. It's very, very uh, gymnastic and it's wonderful finish from a centre yeah. back. Just yeah, firing into the top corner with a uh, Ibrahimovic-esque kind of volley. Brilliant. Um, that season yeah. through the group. Absolutely, listeners. I really, really recommend just getting onto YouTube and checking out that Ed Milson goal because it is. It's so stylish. It's so beautiful. Um, and yeah, it wasn't even one of their forwards. It was a centre back. Um, shout out to Paolo Wanchop, who scored for Costa Rica. Yeah. Um, because legend. I think I've got a feeling that Jimmy Floyd from the JB Parish, he we used to work at Marks and Spencer's ta- stacking shells, and he said, um, he said um, to me, which footballer would you invite to a barbecue? And I said, I don't know. He went Paolo Wanchop, isn't it? And then we and then we started doing these puns on footballers and food names and whatnot. And always when I think of that, I just think of Jimmy stacking shelves. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Um, through you know plenty of goals um, and Ronaldo looking ominous. I think at that point had he got four by that point. I think yeah, he got yeah yeah he yeah. Already got four on the charts and and, and looking good. Um, unbelievable, unbelievable. Um, so. They were drawn against. Um, who were they drawn against in the second round? Again? So round of sixteen, they get Belgium. And, Belgium. Uh, this, that's is, it. this is pre the golden era of Belgium, so still a good outfit, but um, yeah, not carrying the names of of today for sure. But um, pretty routine two 0 win. Rivaldo and Ronaldo scoring. Um, it's actually the, the fourth game in a row that Rivaldo scores. So despite Ronaldo scoring again and moving on to five, um, Rivaldo's also chalked four. So as as a front pairing. Um, they're they're just lethal at this stage, and um, you can see Brazil moving up the gears, um, and also um, not conceding either. Yeah, um, Belgium had um, Bowen Penza um, playing in that match. Um, he had a he had a good effort on goal actually, and um, yeah, I picked that one out because his brother Emil actually played for Plymouth Argyle in two thousand and eight. 2009, and that was a real mad time down here in Plymouth because it was just like we've signed him Penza. It's like, what is this? You know, um, good on chat manager as well, Jack. As, absolutely, as well, yeah, absolutely. Twenty, um, but yeah, <laughs> but when I wrote down my notes for the um, Belgium side, I've, I've written the word pivotal question mark. I do want to look look through the um, the the Belgium side, and there's not. It's very thin. It's very yeah. thin. Um, Vilmots, of course, is there. Still um, there. Yeah. Probably 43. And Van Boyten as well. Um, again, he, was a, he was another champ and legend as well, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, but uh, I just wonder whether this was a period where Belgian football started to change because, um, yeah, whether the seeds were sown um, because it's a very thin side um, and it was a comprehensive... I mean, 2-0, but it, it was... It was pretty comprehensive, really, wasn't it? Um, lovely strike for Rivaldo. Did you catch that one? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Just very nice. really crisp. Yeah, really crisp. I'm just, I'm just gonna 
pick my spade up now, Jack, as we uh, prepare ourselves to dig up the uh, tough old wounds of the quarter-final with England. Well, do you know what, Jimmy? I think that's a lovely place to um, end on part one, because I'm sure there's going to be a lot we're going to chew over here as we head to... It was uh, Sapporo, wasn't it? Correct. Sapporo, yeah, which is in the northern island of Japan, beautiful island of Hokkaido. Um, Never been. Did you go to the north, Jimmy? Did you go to Hokkaido? No, No. sadly not, no. yeah, famous for the skiing and such yeah, like, and yeah. great beer. Um, Snow monkeys. Yeah, there are. But actually, they're down in Honshu, actually. But anyway, okay. um, we're going to leave it there, listeners, and chill with the Japanese uh, geography and catch you for part two. Thank you. And welcome back to part two of Yoga Benito Football Social. Um, this is our... Brazil 2002 World Cup team special. Um, I'm here with Jimmy. We've picked apart the squad. We've talked about the the, the group games. Uh, we've just finished off a very routine 2-0 over Belgium in the last 16. But now we had uh, now we hit the emotional part of all the uh, of the pod because Brazil are drawn against England um, in the quarters in Sapporo and. This is an exciting England side, um, and I think for if I can, you know, Jimmy, if I could just spend maybe two minutes on what it was to be an England fan at this time, um, I found the Sven Euren Eriksson experience honestly at, at the beginning the most exhilarating thing, <laughs> yeah, because I felt that it cast off so many of the demons um, that that we had as a nation that we couldn't. We couldn't beat big sides, and of course we we did the the amazing five th- one uh, demolition of of Germany. Um, that we didn't have any left sided players um, that could fit in a system. Um, that we played sort of boring football, and and Sven had a good side in that 2002. Um, it wasn't good, good enough, and we'll come to that in a second. But you know. Um, Trevor Sinclair on the left started on the left, Scholes and Nicky Butt in midfield, Bex on the right, Heskey and Owen up front, um, Seaman and Goal come to him in a sec. It was it was a strong side, wasn't it? Mm, yeah, it really was. Um I, I guess we were we were hiding Danny Mills at right back, which mm. which we'll come on to. But no, in terms of like you said, in terms of a an England team brimming full with talent and um to go one up as well, twenty three minutes in, Michael Owen it just suddenly, you know, I know wherever you were, it just an eruption of emotion, wasn't it? It mm. was suddenly to take the lead against this side just felt like something special was going to happen. Um, and uh, yeah, it, all the ingredients were there for for an amazing quarter final. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is interesting, isn't it? And again, I know this is a Brazil pod, but I can't help myself making a comment about England. But I do wonder whether there's something within the English psyche. Um, where we can't hold on to leads and or we can't bury teams yeah, once was we're a, in front. Yeah, a panic station, uh, wasn't it? It always started, um, as it did in the recent Euros. You, you go one up and it's a, suddenly the mindset is let's not push on for a second. It's And then suddenly the passing starts to disappear and the ball keeps coming back at you and back at you. Yeah, well, we saw it with, um, yeah, like you said, saw it in the Euros recently. We saw it against Croatia in the last World Cup. You could argue we saw it, um, you know, when, you know, in France '98 with Argentina. Yeah. I don't know. I think about I, I think about Australia. You know, I know listeners. Jimmy Jimmy spent a long time living in Australia, coaching football in Australia, teaching uh, PE in Australia. The Australian cricket, uh, the Australian sporting psyche is quite remarkable, isn't it, Jimmy? When they get in front, it becomes. The the afterburners go on and they make sure they absolutely bury you, don't they? Yeah, very much. Their, their psychology is incredible. Um, even to the point of the, the badge and the symbols, the the kangaroo and the wallaby. The fact that you know they and the emu. Sorry, they'll only they only walk forwards. They don't walk backwards, and that's that's mm. ingrained in them in every sort of age group. It's that yeah, you you push on and you push forward. Um, and it's very easy, isn't it, to sit and watch any type of sport and go, oh, oh, you know, they're they're getting scared, they're getting worried here. But when you're on the pitch and you're one up, it's just really interesting how the mindset changes. 
Um, and we were just getting to half time. I can remember the mm. commentary team. You know, we're a minute away here from half time, one nil up. Michael Owen and Ronaldinho picks the ball up in midfield, and he beats one, and he starts running, and he goes up the gears, and then there's this incredible step over. Right? It kind yeah. of almost makes Ashley Cole's body. <laughs> I don't know what he does to him with this step over, but he's just gone off to his different direction, and Cole, one, probably arguably one of the best left backs in the world at that moment, or was going to become it. He just leaves him for dead. And then when everyone goes that way, it's a beautiful little pass off. And Ravala doesn't even need a first touch. He's already shaped no. his body and it's just buried in the bottom corner past the helpless David James. And you're going at 1-1 and, and suddenly the game's changed. Yeah, it you could you could feel the... Uh, they were just turning the temperature up, weren't yeah. they, Brazil? Yeah. As it went on. And again, it... You know, again, it felt like that against Italy, didn't it, in the in the, the recent final. Um, yeah, it was... I felt like the team... It's interesting with England, because the the it felt like quite a balanced team, actually. Um, the midfield was a big problem um, in the, the, the noughties and the, the 2010s, or the golden generation and such like. You had an imbalanced side. But with Sinclair on the left, but dropping deep, um, Skulls is a real... Scholes is a classic number eight, isn't he? Mm. And then Beckham is this sort of interesting, modern, slingshot number seven, set-piece and dead ball specialist. It felt like actually quite a balanced team. And with Heskey and Owen, um, it was that was still quite a dirigeur, um, uh, you know, split striker thing, wasn't it? Big man, little man, you know, that was something that, um, you know, was was prevalent throughout the Premier League. However, what happens next, I have I have quite strong feelings about Jimmy, which is Ronaldinho's goal. Um, lobbing Seaman from 30 yards. Well, I'm glad you said you lobbed him, because for me, a lob is intentional. Okay. And I agree. Oh. And I, and I, you know, yeah, I, yeah, you know, accident, you accidentally lob someone? I don't think so. A lob is, you're, you're going to, it's a shot, isn't it? Well, I, I, I beg, I beg to disagree with you here. I'm, no I've way. watched it many a time, and I'm convinced no he means it. I'm convinced. Yeah, I'm convinced he means it. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I'm, I'm. He wasn't he, crossing he mean, to the back post. No, 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 not okay. at all. Yeah. No, it's intentional. Yeah. It's intentional. Yeah. And and it, again, it's it's just just this fascinating thing with 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 commentary and did he mean it? To, this is this is a an infinitely talented footballer, an all timer. That has spent his life dedicating um, his his time and his practice to to hitting the ball and shaping the ball in a certain way and being able to read situations where a keeper is, how far is it, can I hit it? Um, I've been watching his eyes, but anyway, all this sort of stuff. It was for me a beautiful goal. It was no it was no freak, and it was the difference between those two sides. Is England had a team of artisans. Um, they could huff and they could puff and they had a little bit of craft as a team, but this this was artistry and Brazil's artistry was was the difference in the end, wasn't it, that separated the two? Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, I think that was just amazing that Ronaldinho runs away and he's he's doing the little dance and the jig celebration. Yeah. It's party time for the Brazilians. And then it's it's less than I think seven minutes later mm. he's leaving the field with a red card um, and with plenty of time on the clock. For England to get back into the game, and even then at 2-1, like you say, the huffing and the puffing and the the extra man, Brazil just close up their ranks, um, and yeah, we we've sadly just run out of puff. Yeah, it was. It, I mean, maybe Ronaldinho just agreed with us and thought, yeah, Danny Mills, you shouldn't be uh, <laughs> right back. You know, I think it was Danny Mills, wasn't it? It's yeah. was quite horrible actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was interesting because that that that. Um, that three, four, one, two, then became a sort of it kept, so kind of became a flat back five, didn't it? Yeah. Um, the two sat in front, two in front of that, and just just counter counter attack as and when. Um, yeah, it it was heartbreaking, but there was there was definitely a sense that there we were beaten by a superior outfit. I mean, there was yeah, yeah there's no think complaint. There's any harm in so. being knocked out by Brazil. Certainly, this Brazil team. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, what was interesting, though, was, um, you know, England go out, Brazil progress to the semis. But in the semis, they meet um, a side that we talked about earlier, Turkey, who 
they'd beaten 2-1 in the uh, in the group stages um, and here they were in the semis yeah um, an incredible run for Turkey I mean beyond their wildest dreams and I think for them sort of galvanised and um, and fired up by uh, the ill feeling that was left from mm. that game uh, I think it was two reds to Turkey in that game and I think they felt mm. they had you know the 11 on the field and without the histrionics of Rivaldo I think they they fancied themselves to do to an upset and um Quite the upset it would have been in the semi-final uh, to see Turkey making their way to a World Cup final. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's a very, very tight game. Uh, I do love this Ronaldo goal in this. Uh, he's scored so many different goals. Uh, this is the one where he, he's, his first touch leaves the ball out in front of him. And without mm. breaking his stride, it's the, it's the hit with the toe. Um, and the Restu uh, in goal just is having even set his feet at this point. The ball's already mm. on his way past him into the corner. Uh, and a little bit of a tip of the hat, a bit of a homage to Romario with those quick, quick finishes. It's it's very, very Brazilian. It's very kind of street street ball yeah, to hit absolutely. early on the toe. Um, and a sort of coached out of, of young English players. But in Brazil, it's uh, very much a thing, isn't it? And it's just a brilliant finish. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I always find it interesting because I think every part of the foot should be used to score a goal. You know, Absolutely. the heel, the side, yeah. the yeah. the out, the instep, whatever. Um, but in, I don't know, I don't know if it's the same when you where you grew up in in Taunton, Jimmy. But um, it was called a toe punt, and you were called Tommy toe punt. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you if you hit it, if you it was seen as incorrect or and and uncouth. Mm. You know. Yeah. It's very, so there's something sort of British about, it, isn't it? It's like cheating or something. Or, yeah, it's not. You right. know, not the done thing. No, it's not the done thing. Yeah. Whereas. Um, yeah, I mean Ronaldo. Uh, Romario turned it into a uh, into an art form, and and yeah, Ronaldo shows what all great strikers show. So they can score with any part of their body um, at any point. Yeah, um, not much to say about the t- semi other than that, was there? There wasn't really. No, not really. It was. Um, it, it just, I suppose it just shows again what a good side Brazil were uh, in the fact that when it was a tight game and then Turkey a really hard team to break down and beat. Um, that they could get the job done with again without conceding. So they've gone the whole way through the the knockout stages, only letting in a goal from Michael Owen. Um, no one else has, has laid a glove on them. So sign of a very good team defensively. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm just trying to think. Um, I didn't make a note of this. Who replaced? Um, was it Adilson? Re- replaced uh, Ronaldinho. Is it Adilson? No, I haven't got it here actually. We'd have to look it up, but I've got a feeling yeah. that maybe it was Danielson that played in the semi because Adilson would have look. been playing centre back. Yeah. No, Ed Ed Milson was. Oh, Ed Milson, sorry. Yeah. No, it was. It was Ed Milson. Adilson. Yeah. There yeah, you okay. go. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. Well. Um, yeah. That was the semi-final. Uh, beaten Turkey for the second time. Fantastic result. And then marching on to the final, which was in Yokohama. Um, and they're up against the Germany side. It was interesting, Jimmy, doing the research for this pod, and I mean, spent a lot of time looking at, at Brazil, but also looking at the teams they they faced. Um, the, Brazil, the the Germany sides that they 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 faced, it, it wasn't a it wasn't a classic no. side, was it? No, I, I found this really strange looking through that Germany team. Yeah, and yeah, it was it was functional. And classic Germany, isn't it? It's they they still make a final, even though you go through that team. And yeah, Oliver Kahn is is world class keeper without doubt. Um, Balak is a world class centre midfielder, but really, other than that, um, I mean, even up front, you're going through sort of like Karsten Janka, Oliver Bierhoff, Miroslav Closer. Yeah, Closer's a, a poacher, but I don't know. That that's for me, the Germany squad is is nowhere near as good as England's squad. Um, mm. At that point, but they just knew how to get get through tournaments, didn't they? They had that air of of arrogance and, and functionality about them to get there. Um, uh, do you know what? Something's just jumped right my right in my head. I was reading a fantastic book um, before Christmas. I was maybe even before that. I was reading a really interesting book called The End, and it was about the fall of the Third Reich in Germany. Um, and there's this saying that the Germans have a word for everything. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, there is a word for it, and I don't, I don't, I can't remember it. Should I say? But there's this, um, there's this spirit, and there's this characteristic in in German culture, which is, you know, never say die and go down fighting. And it it is 
it talk, it talks about it in in the end. You know, it, it's talking about something that's that's been going throughout German culture. Um, and I did sit there and I think it's so interesting watching German sides that even when they don't have maybe the the skill and talent of their um, their adversaries. So if you think of like the the Germany side of seventy four, they were no way as good as the Dutch side of seventy four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good comparison. Um, but there was but they they didn't go down without a fight and they do not give in and and again yeah like you said Oliver Kahn world class <laughs> Jens Jeremies was he playing for yeah I think it was like Mehmet Scholl yeah um, and players yeah very sort of functional Neuville yeah Neuville Carsten Rambolo the, these were yeah, these Rudy were not Rudy manager very just yeah, the old principles wasn't it of if we hold our shape and we defend well yeah. we've got good enough players to pinch pinch opportunities um, but I think in this final they came up against um, a side that in Ronaldo had that person that was going to take opportunities and was clinical and was lethal and um, I think sadly for going back to that Dutch team they uh, Cruyff's you know, great quotes of I'd rather rather win playing well um, than win playing badly you know win with style but yeah. in this instance it was the other way around and um, yeah Ronaldo's First, very fortuitous after Oliver Kahn really uncharacteristically fumbling the shot um, and losing control of it, and Ronaldo um, snapping up the rebound. But I love the second goal because the, the removement from Rivaldo and uh, just a dummy, dummy. ball, and yeah, yeah, just leave it. And Ronaldo's first touch is amazing, and the finish is just laser precision, just yeah. rolled in off the post. He's got no chance, and um, it's that at that moment you, you do you just sit back and you say he scored. Eight goals in seven games. He's you know he's scoring in every game, and he is just better than everyone else. And it was for me a moment where I think I looked at Zidane in '98 and wasn't old enough to appreciate Maradona in in '86. But the players that have carried nations, um, and they've always obviously have to have a good supporting cast with them. But I think Ronaldo here has to be has to be held up as one of the greats of all time. And I don't think he gets the recognition he should, but just an unbelievably good tournament for him. Yeah, amen to that. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what can you say? I what's that, what I love is that he bookended that tournament. He scored yeah. in the first and he scored in the last. Yeah. You know, I just yeah. I love that. Um, I don't know what it is about Ronaldo. I just wonder whether just to answer your question as to why he doesn't get the attention. Because if you if you watch the tapes, he is technically unbelievable. I mean, he's just—he's so much more than a goal scorer. Yeah. His dribbling ability—I I got a real thing about dribbling, and maybe some of for another pod. But I just think it's a dying art, and I don't—I don't think there's that many great dribblers around. Um, yeah, there's not many. Yeah. Um, and he's a great dribbler. Uh, Ronaldinho was a. Oh, it, I'll come to that in a second, actually. Yeah, but. His movement was fantastic. He had explosive pace. You look at the shape of him; really interesting shape. He was like a sort of like he was like a sort of XL Maradona in the way that he was. It was he was stocky, um, huge thighs, but he was, he was taller and he was powerful. And he had he, he had great aerial ability as well. So he's this sort of interesting body shape. You know, extremely powerful, extremely athletic. Um, finish with both feet, could dribble, movement, pass, dummy. Yeah, um, I think he changed he changed the whole concept of a modern centre forward, didn't he? I think there's a there's a line at that point um, where you look at the Germany team. It's you know we've got Janga, he's our big target man. Bierhoff can hold a ball up, can bring people into it. Closest the poacher. They've all got yeah. their roles. They're all known as certain types of strikers. Mm-hmm. And then you just have Ronaldo, and you just play him on his own and say do everything. And he would. He could come short. He could he could hold the ball up. He'd win it in the air. He'd run past you. He, he just could do absolutely everything. Well, I think that I'm just thinking outside of or away from the pitch, what was going on. Um, it's interesting with Ronaldo because what happened was um, he went to Real Madrid after that, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he went oh, to Real Madrid. Yeah. Um, and he won the Ballon d'Or. And then it felt like during this period. Um, that football went sort of stratospheric with marketing, yeah, yeah, um, certainly that Galactico Real Madrid team. Yeah, yeah, something was happening, and Ronaldo, basically, for me, I, 
and this is a chrono chronological thing, he just sort of missed the real explosion of the hyper commercialization of football. Yeah. And what was really weird and compl a complete fluke was that another player stepped into the arena that also had fabulous gifts um, that had the exact same name as him. <laughs> yeah. And it's just preposterous to think about, really, the odds of it. And Cristiano Ronaldo, and I'm just going to call him CR7 CR7 for the sake of this pod. CR7 comes in, and he is a goal machine, and he's he's good looking, and he plays for a fantastic club, and he's winning titles and such like. And the PR machine goes absolutely out of control, and and then also, which goes back to, you know, the Sherlock Holmes thing is, um, great, and and particularly in boxing, is greatness is often only ever appreciated when you can position it against a nemesis. Mm. And if you think of Ali, you cannot think about Ali without Fraser. You cannot think about Ali without Fraser. You cannot think about CR7 without Lionel Messi. But Ronaldo, El Fenomeno, he just stands alone during that period. There wasn't that sort of, that rub you know, yeah, and and I find that interesting. So I think there's a few a few things that come in here as to why the appreciation's not there. Because I tell you what, the goals are there, yeah, the silverware's yeah, yeah. there, and the ability's there. I think the other thing as well, Jack, is is the longevity thing. Is that with Ronaldo, this is the peak. This is is mm. the very height of it. And I think he goes to Madrid, but the injuries are into the the knee reconstruction. Yeah. He isn't the same Ronaldo. And as yeah. he approaches his later twenties, that that built, stocky built. Um, starts to carry a bit more weight, and there's no doubt the technique and the finishing's there, but he's not the same player. So that, that you know, the nickname Fat Ronaldo comes along, and towards the end of his career, yeah, um, yeah, he's not held in the same esteem. Whereas uh, somehow Messi and Ronaldo have been doing it and doing it and doing it for what seems like two decades. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think um, yeah, I totally agree with that. And I didn't I didn't touch on the injury almost because um, yeah, it, it felt like a um, uh, what's the word? It's something that's been talked about so much, but it's interesting. When I was reading his, um, when I was reading his bio, um, he was called. One of the bios I read it was um, a multi-fault, a multi-fault functional striker yeah. who brought a new dimension to the position, which is what you were talking about. I'd like to say the word. I'd like to say like multi-dimensional. Yeah. I think it's something. It, that's what it is. It's, it, Ronaldo was a multi-dimensional player. Messi has it. Messi has that that multi-dimensional um, style, but Iniesta had it, um, has it, should I say, um, and that's what Ronaldo has. So it was it was interesting injuries, um, the the chronology of his career, um, yeah, it just it just tailed off yeah. at a time when if he'd have stayed fit, um, he would have been kept brought into that hyper commercialized globalized era where you're plastered all over billboards in Singapore and Beijing and you have, you know, your your boots and your commercial... I mean, that, I mean, that stuff was going on, but it it went it went mental in the in the noughties and 2010s, yeah. didn't it? You yeah. know? Um, interesting. Yeah, interesting. I, I sort of... I don't know why. I often feel really emotional about him, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I really do. <laughs> Is it because it's so so much ability and so much promise, and then there's also that bittersweet, the thing that happened in '98, and then obviously the injuries that blighted him and held him back, and mm. yeah, it seems like we saw just a quick flash of in, insane brilliance, but then it was gone. Yeah, I remember um, Brendan Ingle saying about uh, Prince Nazim Ahmed. He said um, he said enjoy Naz while you can, because there won't be another one of them. Yeah, and uh, I I do feel. There was that element with with Ronaldo because with the injury it was like he burned so brightly yeah. for such a short amount of time. I mean, Joe and I on the pod we always talk about Transworld Sport, um, you know, and how many players, Jimmy, did you sit and watch on Transworld and be like, oh my God, who the hell is this? Yeah. You know, pre YouTube, pre Sky, you know, or, you know, loads of us couldn't afford Sky anyway. Still bloody can't. But um, you know, you 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 wouldn't. You know, you would see these players, and that's when I first saw um, Ronaldo. Yeah. And it was just like, oh my god, 
who the hell is this? That goal for Barcelona. Remember when he put, is he 20, something yeah. like that, 19? And he, people are like climbing on his back and he's just shrugging people off and just runs past everyone. You think, yeah, what is this guy? You know, just from yeah. another planet. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, we, we've, we've waxed lyrical a lot about Ronaldo there. This was a great Brazil side. Um, I would say, I would say it's, it, it, for me, it's the, it, it's the last great Brazil side. Yeah, I think um, it's the last Brazil team that actually any European team feared. Mm. I think they lost there. I think they've lost that fear now. I think mm. that that's the last great, great team for me from Brazil at this stage. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. There was, yeah, it was interesting. It, it, it was interesting because, like, like we said, when, um, you know, in the, um, Jim, I'm just going to stop there. Joe, re-edit this bit. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Jimmy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was that element of fear, and we've got this era of, you know, scouting and knowing everything, the metrics and the data science that's going on with size and You know everything about every team that you're going to play. There was this element of the unknown. I mean, Marcos, the goalkeeper, nobody <laughs> knew. Him. I wonder, <laughs> wonder whether his teammates knew him. You know. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, absolutely. It's. It's up there, isn't it, Jimmy? I mean, it. It. I think it's better than the eighty-two side, uh, Socrates and Zico. Yeah. Again, um, I think it's hard for us to comment. It'd be good to see what our dads think about that because I think again they played with such a beautiful harmony. And and, and documentaries I've watched and books I've read about that team, there was mm. such a wonderful balance to that team. Um, and that really was Jogo Benito at his best. It was you know they were just playing with smiles on their faces, uh, differently from everyone else. Um, I've got a question for you though, Jackie boy. Yeah. So, do you think that the the way that the game has changed and the, the scouting and the way that now players like Vinicius Junior, or Rodrigo, they can be signed at you know 17, mm. uh, 16. They've only mm. played five, six games for their Brazilian clubs, and mm. all of a sudden they're transported to Europe. Do you think that that flair um, and that expression of Brazilian talent is going to be coached out of these precocious talents? Do you think they'll go into the European system? Um, and we we lose that flair factor, that unpredictability. It's a really good question. Um, Lewis and I were sort of texting each other a little bit about this earlier. Um, can I answer from an English perspective? If they were to come to an English system, yeah, that'd be all right. I'd say yes, in an English system. I don't know enough about continental coaching yep. to really say oh yes, because I don't know. Um, what the Italian system's like or the Spanish system for coaching, etc. But in England, what I see and notice that worries me. I was, I was at my son's athletics tournament the other day. Got picked to do this athletics thing, and I was sat there and I was sat with another dad, and his son was there, who's a year older than my boy, and he said, "God, you know, my boy, he loves football. He's, yeah, you won't believe it. He's like football tonight, football tomorrow night, day off Wednesday, football Thursday, football Friday, football Saturday, football Sunday, and." I kind of thought, oh my God, that's awful. <laughs> um, because um, you're going to have a very homogenised young man that is being fed yeah. a diet um, of one thing. Yeah. And there are, and again, this is a point for another pod, the the social, within football, the, 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 the social ramifications of that are quite severe and also the style the type of football that you're getting um if they're just having this the same system of coaching um joe uses the word a lot automations yeah. you know triggers and yeah. whatnot which is part of the modern game um then then yes sorry i know i've gone around the houses there then yes i think they will and you know i've been to brazil and i've i've been to copacabana and ipanema and bahia and these wonderful places you hear about and on jazz records and on songs and films and like they are a very interesting race they they are honestly the fittest race of people that I've ever encountered you go to um, Rio and everyone's just like roller skating football like um, tightrope I can't remember the name of it the low tightrope thing and and the, the, the sense of fitness is and play is everywhere everywhere fitness and play fitness and play and you come to England and it's much more about 
um, stratification, um, coaching, academy, the word elite gets used a lot, this idea of hierarchy. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it would. I'm, I, I mean, I'm sure there's probably coaches that, that listen to this or would hear a comment like that and say, you're talking out your backside, Jack, and, and maybe I am, but that's what my instincts tells me. Well, I appreciate your opinion. Oh, thanks, Jimmy. <laughs> what about you? What do you reckon? No, I, I, I concur. It's an interesting one, isn't it? But a bit, having been around a lot of coaching, I, yeah, I just see that, like you said, coaches, most of them are very dogmatic and they want certain things and they think they know best. Mm. Um, and I just, I've noticed it a lot. And it's, you, you, Brazilian, you see Brazilians do things you don't see other people do. You know, they're, mm. for me, they are the most flamboyant. They, they do have the most, um, trickery and flair and, and, and I just yeah do worry that when they see that and they grab that and they say come here and play within this system but this is what we need you to do with your talents I, I worry that they'll they'll take some of that exuberance away yeah I mean again maybe I'm getting too much into the abstract here but you know I think about how much music there is in Brazil I mean I think it's on a Thursday night in Rio you can go to Lapa which is like a district and it's just massive street parties it's just you don't go clubbing you just stand out in the street. The club is the street, you know, and you're just drinking and there's people coming up to you with like bottles of tequila and you pay like one reais or whatever it is and you just have a shot and you just carry on dancing and walking and, you know, capoeira, the beach, all the, the, there's this expressionism to Brazilian life which is so joyful and colourful and flamboyant and rich um, and that is part of their football and that watching Brazil maybe this is a nice way to tie together what we've been talking about watching that side you can hear the music yeah you can see the dance you know and it's there it's there in all of those games and they're modeling it for you with every blade of grass that they cover and the modern system is different and I don't have a comment on which one's better, which one's right or wrong. It's that, that's too difficult. But yes, that will not be there because the modern system doesn't want that. It's 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 highly automated and stratified, and you're you're getting a different product at the end. You really are. It's a beautiful um, beautiful um, sermon you just finished on. Mm. To the point that I want to remove my headset and just lay my head down on the table <laughs> in appreciation. <laughs> For what you just said. God bless oh, you, Jack Oh, it's been so good. I knew good. I'd cry during the pod. Oh. There, it is. there it is. I nearly went. I nearly oh. went earlier thinking about Ronaldo. I, I really did. I really did. <laughs> I, here's something. I'll, I'll finish on a little question for you then, Jimmy. Do you know how to pronounce Ronaldinho's name in Brazilian Portuguese? <laughs> okay, I'm going to get it wrong, but I'm going to have a bash at it. Why not? Go for it. Because I was happy with my... Kimarish the other day. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it was yeah, great. Yeah, thanks. Um, I believe the R's are, aren't they? They're, Love, they're lovely. Honaljinho. So cl- I'm going to give you that. It's Honaljinho. Honaljin. Honaljinho. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So and cool. little so, little Ronaldo. Is it as simple yeah. as that? Like another one. Ronaldo. Yeah. 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 The R's are the uh, R's are H's. It's so so interesting when you're listening to. Cause I I found this out when I was in um, when I was in a place called Itacare. And um, there's this beautiful Bahian place. Myself, she's my wife now, Emma, my girlfriend at the time. We spent like three weeks there. And there was this beach called, as an English person read it, Resende. And I was like, oh, cool, Resende. And the guy was like, no, 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 it's Hesenje. It's Hesenje. <laughs> I was like, it's Hesenje. And then, you know, the linguist was like, what an R is a H. He was like, hang on, hang on, hang on. What about I was like, And I said, how do you pronounce Ronald? Because if the D is a G, he was like, Honoljinho, Honoljinho was like, oh my god, and all that time, not even been saying his name right. Mm. There you go. Hey, language. Hey, interesting. I love it. Hey. Love it. Jimmy, I love you. That's I what I love. I, uh, I love so this Brazil side. Beautiful sojourn. Oh. Yeah, and thanks for thanks for putting this on the agenda. Um, I'm sure all, all the listeners, it's, it's a team to love. Um, and for the rest of the JB team, I know they're going to enjoy listening to it. Um, you know, God bless the Salasau. It's a different side nowadays, but you know, thank God for YouTube, so we can check back in and see those those marvelous players and what they produced. Um, I've been Jack Harmon. Um, I'll say obrigado to all of you, and I'll say obrigado to you, Jimmy. And I'll say uh, ciao, ciao. Thanks for having ciao. me.
Cheers, mate. Loads of love. We've been Yoga Benito. Check us out on Twitter. Check us out on Insta. Check in on Facebook. And we're on uh, Apple Podcasts and also uh, Google Podcasts. Thank you so much. God bless. Cheers now. Mm-hmm.